This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Tech Talk and it is Matt's Blaine yet again. It's actually three more shows before the year ends. So uh, we decided that uh, me and uh, Matt Armitage from Culture Pop, who's here with me in the studio, yes. of course. Yeah, so we decided that the last show of the year, we will be doing a recap and also a look forward to what's going to happen yeah, in 2018. Yeah, our usual geeks roundup. but for extended geeks yeah. session but for for these two shows i thought i'd do you know the things that i've learned mm. in 2017 rather than say the things that you should learn from 2017 yeah. these are the things that i have learned so we've taken a different approach this time around it's things that matt armitage has learned in 2017 so matt how has your 2017 been then well i'll be really honest mm. this has been um quite a profound year for me it's um, been one of those years where a, a lot of things in my worldview have changed and I think a lot of that has to do with global politics um, <laughs> I think a lot of us who work in technology and the media um, you know in the past we've had these very utopian knowledge, uh, notions that technology particularly when it comes to social media and mm. communications that the technology was a way of bringing people together yeah but subsequent events like you know Brexit and the U.S. president presidential election which of course brought donald trump to the presidency they've kind of proved that the opposite is the case or rather that the opposite (laughs) can be the case um so in a lot of ways it's turned the tech world upside down certainly my cozy little world Mm. and i think a lot of people including me have had their expectations changed Uh, so how so how has your expectations changed Actually, in a lot of very straightforward ways, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot on this show is that, you know, technology is not neutral. A lot of people Mm. say, well, technology is neutral. Technology isn't neutral. Mm. Um, It can be used in both positive and negative ways. So the the power that it's given us to come together and to communicate and to broaden our horizons is also the same power that has allowed people who don't feel like that, people who feel disenfranchised Mm. by this broadening of horizons, to find other people who feel disenfranchised (laughs) and for those people to come together. And it's, you know, since the end of, I think, the Second World War, since we've gone into this sort of really rapid technological change, period of technological change, we've had this myth that it's only people on the kind of liberal and progressive side that really understand how to get the best use out of all of this new technology. Mm. And that has been borne out in uh, a lot of political events around the world over the last few decades. And very often it has been the progressives who have made the best use of the latest technologies and conservatives who have lagged behind. However, as the election of Donald Trump (laughs) has shown, people on the conservative end of the spectrum have also become very adept at using Mm. the same technologies, especially when it comes to creating memes and viral talking points. And they've been particularly skillful in using these kind of highly targeted Mm. demographics and geolocation data that the social media and technology companies have pioneered. And I think the exploitation of that information especially has changed the way people, myself included, now look at technology companies. Mm. Now, that's looking at things in the broader sense. Uh, How is your view of technology companies changed at the more granular level? Well, this has definitely been the year of (laughs) fake news. Um, uh, Of course, you know, what you think of the concept of fake news Mm. also depends where you sit on the political spectrum. (laughs) Um, Fake news has become, in a sense, the war against fact. 
facts. Um, we aren't talking about what is true anymore. We're talking about what we choose to believe, which is really weird because we're in the era of the internet where information yeah. was supposed to, you know, set yeah. us free. Instead, what seems to have it's happened is everyone yeah, we have so much information. Like you said, we're confused. We've got no idea how to filter the truth from the lies. And I don't want to talk about fake news particularly yeah. because yeah. that's not a technology no. issue. You know, it's as old as the ages. <laughs> But it has become a bellwether for the technology industry. In particular, it has demonstrated how insular Silicon Valley is and how easy it was for Silicon mm. Valley to be blindsided by the fake news epidemic and how countries have been able to use these platforms to, to meddle in each other's affairs. Mm. So do you like the way that the current anti-media climate has shone a light on companies like Facebook and Google? Yeah, I think it's been a long time mm. coming. Um, you know, we've treated Silicon Valley's gurus as though they were, you know, a new generation of gods. Mm. Um, we've treated them as though they're infallible and we've hung on their every word and thought. You know, a press release seems to go out every time Elon Musk sneezes <laughs> and we treat it like, you know, some kind yeah. of global epiphany. Mm. And I'm not trying to single Elon Musk out. It's just the way we treat him is really at the, the far yeah. end of the mm. spectrum. So he makes a very useful example. But we've all been guilty of hanging on the words of these so-called geniuses. We haven't really given them the kind of critical attention that they deserved until very recently. You know, Mark Zuckerberg was adamant that Facebook could not be used to meddle or influence an election. Mm. And then he had to eat his words over the summer. So it kind of goes to showing how complacent corporate leaders like him were and how thoroughly and completely social media has penetrated our daily lives. Mm. Now, surely that's not a surprise, right? You, you wouldn't have waited until 2017 to realise just how dependent we are in social media. No, I think it's much more about that, that trust relationship, that, that damage to the mm. trust relationship. Mm. Um, along with that realisation, you know, we, we've seen a lot of the big technology companies making misstep after misstep this year. Uh, I kind of feel bad singling out all the usual suspects <laughs> again. But it has been an appalling oh year God. or year plus for Uber. Yeah. You know, the company is being sued left, right and centre, including by the people it employs, or rather by <laughs> the people it claims not to employ. Yeah. And the cases are increase, uh, increasingly being settled in favour of the not employees who are now becoming <laughs> employees. So if you're listening to this on the podcast... <laughs> You might want to rewind that and check that I got it right. Um, Uber's had to withdraw from some markets. It's had its licenses mm. to operate revoked in some cities. We've also learned of a, a rather toxic internal corporate structure. There have been various reshufflings of its senior management. And we've also heard stories of its so-called grey software that has been used to target people who have been critical of the company. And I don't want this to be an endless list of the failings of of Uber, it isn't just Uber. It's just that Uber is the big daddy yeah. of negative publicity. Although, yeah. to be fair, Twitter is starting yeah. to give Uber mm. a run for, for its <laughs> money. But it is a problem that's industry-wide. You know, this year we found that a lot of technology companies and their behavior have fallen really far short of the standards that we expect. And I mean Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Google, Apple, and on and on and on. We had very high hopes for these companies. You know, we bought into the dream. Mm. We uh, swallowed the marketing speak. We thought that they weren't evil. And, you know, like I said, they would help to set us free. But 
all they really want to do is to lock us into their walled garden and enjoy their exclusive rights to sell us things and monetize our lives. Mm. And that falls very short of the expectations we had for them. Whether our expectations were fair, that's an entirely different discussion. Yeah. But it doesn't stop you from feeling disheartened. Mm. So it's obvious that you feel disappointed with the tech world, right? and so do I as well. But what is it that stands out for most of the year that defines their behavior in 2017, man? Well, I think it's something that's made both of us laugh a lot over the last 12 months, and that's the general level of tone deafness. Mm. Um, and that's really what's been most evident. You know, we've seen technology companies make their mistakes, yeah. mutter some words of contrition in the media, and then assume that, you know, they're all good with the normies. Mm. And then it backfires on them all over again. Um, you know, there's the CEO who uses the natural disaster as a backdrop to the latest <laughs> video conferencing tool on his site. There's the company that charges exorbitant fees to drive people out of the site of terror incidents. There's the board member forced to resign mm. over sexist comments he made while making an announcement about new management hires brought in to combat <laughs> sexism. Oh, that God. made me laugh yeah. probably the hardest. <laughs> There's the company leader who alleges that hate speech, by, uh, hate speech rather by some people is acceptable because it's newsworthy while his service suspends rape victims when they point out inconsistencies in other people's denials. Mm. Or at least... That's what we think the suspension was for <laughs> because they refused to tell us what the criteria actually are. You know, it's not the happiest thing to say as we go into the break, but I think 2017 is really the year when we started to see the darker and less user-friendly face of the technology industry. Mm. Things have taken a change from the time when we spoke in 2016 and how optimism we are about the technology space. Well, it looks like it's been disappointing so well, far. Well, we'll get to the optimism. But we'll get to the optimism in just a moment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. BFM 89.9. Bankers, financiers and moneymakers. BFM. 89.9. And we're back and uh, we're doing a Matt's planning episode about the things that uh, Matt Armitage has learned in 2017. And so far, it's been all disappointment because uh, uh, despite it being a profound year, uh, the world has turned upside down. Uh, the tech companies, they can't seem to protect us. Fake news, it's a new thing. Uh, technologies companies keep getting it wrong and wrong and wrong. Uh, they've got this thing where we just mentioned tone deafness, which is every time when we talk about something like this, it's a face palm. And you can't hear it on radio, but honestly, the amount of times that we have slapped ourselves silly on our foreheads, talking yeah. about stories. And, and <laughs> I have quite a lot of forehead. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But yeah, so, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're just talking about the things that we've learned in 2017. Yeah, yeah and it's the end of the year. Um, and, you know, you've already had far mm. too much doom and gloom from me. So, now I get to turn the tables and ask right. Jeff mm, mm. what have been some of the more profound trends mm. in technology for him this year. Well, I think if you're going to say profound tech trends, I would say just the crypto world has really taken by taken me by surprise. Uh, and I have to say that I, I do invest in the cryptocurrency world as well, not just one, but a whole bunch of them, Bitcoin, Ethereum and all this. Um, but for me, it's like the whole talk about it was like, oh, this is going to be like, you know, a 2020 plan, a 2019 plan and that will explode. So I thought I had like a leeway where I could understand the technology while I invest into it. But 
this whole year, I think the past three months have seen it just rose dramatically. You see Wall Street now talking about it. You hear Morning Run with Breakfast Grill. They talk about cryptocurrency and they're trying to, you know, understand Richard Bradbury is like, you know, he he's like the guru of uh, cryptocurrency, which I don't know still like how much. Yeah, he much just knows <laughs> the words. I think he knows the words a lot and like he would, he, he knows how to spell it out, but I don't think that the entire technology itself that we could fully understand. And that's, for me, it's something that kind of really puts 2017 into perspective in the sense that we blindly would jump into it because it's hot. It's a new thing. Oh, it's cool. and all. But do we actually fully understand no, the I, entire technology? I don't it? think anyone understands it. But, do you, yeah, but are you not scared? I mean, you're saying you're investing yeah. yourself. Are you not scared that there's a bubble there? Uh, no, so I don't think it's a bubble, though. So that is my argument. I don't think it's a bubble. I okay. think it does give... You're, you're saying that investments that have risen by seven or 8,000% in under a year is not not a bubble. It's not a bubble because a bubble would burst e- almost immediately and, or so, right? And, and Bitcoin has nearly, been around for three years Yeah, at but least. nearly all the current big brokers out there are saying don't invest in Bitcoin because it's overpriced and it's in a bubble and it's going to burst. It's extremely volatile. That's what it is. So you are at risk. But it, hang on. Volatile is a bubble. <laughs> it's, you're not going to... I don't think it will break that you, you, you know Bitcoin will just disappear one day and then no, you no, will lose all your money. No, I think, no. But you, but you don't do that with any investment. You, you don't lose all your money. You just lose... Most of it. Most of it, yeah. So, and up, up, up until now, I've not heard of anyone who's actually lost money in, in the crypto world. Unless they've but gone you don't through until the bubble bursts. Until That's the, why it's but a bubble. But it's been three years and counting, and now it seems like it has a longer runway because, um, you know, initially you, it, it felt like a real bubble because um, a lot of uh, corporate banks and a lot of the central government agencies were trying to ban. Uh, the use cases of bitcoins or blockchain technology, but now it seems like they've they've taken it around and they seem to like let's work with these guys, let's work with blockchain technology, let's work with Bitcoin and see how it works. So now it, instead of the only problem I have with uh, with like Bitcoin is that it it came out because it hated the current system of you know of money itself, right? It came out to set itself apart where it's not dictated by any uh, you know central, uh, bank. central yeah. bank or any political movement or any commodities and so on and so forth. But the thing is now it feels like it's following along the same path. No, of course it will because as soon as, just, because as soon as the money men get into it, then it it goes along the same path. I and, mean, and that's, that's the that's thing inevitable. with Wall Street getting into into Bitcoin because it's the money man who will now dictate it and hence you see the, the surge in the pricing in Bitcoin mm. is because these money men who was previously just against Bitcoin, they've decided like, you know what, let's just accept Bitcoin, let's make the quick buck and then we get out. But I think, that's going to cause the bubble. I think the issue for me, and it, it was shown with Ethereum earlier in the year, is that when people try to cash out of these currencies, mm. because the value is increasing so much, but actually the supply yeah. is very, very small. So yeah. when even a, a relatively small shareholder tries to catch out, mm. cash out rather, it really tanks the price. Mm. We saw that with Ethereum. Somebody yeah. tried to take out 300,000 yeah. US dollars <laughs> and the price went down by something like 80% yeah. overnight. Yeah. Mm. That is not a sensible investment. <laughs> I mean, okay, if you want to invest a little yeah. bit of money and you want to do it very quickly and get out, but for somebody to put in mm. large sums of money, because I, I think that's going to be the big issue. When people start to say, right, now I'm taking the money out, yeah. that's when the problems are going to occur. And that's when the, 
the the value is really going to start dropping. And the problem with that is because you can't actually use it as a transaction. You still have to trade it using you know a dollar. You have to yes, which be, is precisely which the is, reason yeah. that it's ridiculous <laughs> investing in this kind of currency because it's not even tradable. It's it's a uh, it's an entirely um, imagined mm. value mm. to a, mm. to a large. Large degree. Which I guess kind of, again, you know, goes back to the whole 27 thing, right? Like everyone would jump into it because it's like a new thing without fully sure. understand. And like the whole concept of like, you know, what exactly. So I'm, I'm very cautious in, in what I invest in cryptocurrency. I just feel like I, I, I would like to be a part of it, being part of Tech Talk and, you know, being part of like a tech journalist. It's nice to get a, get a part of it. I've seen some returns from it, not anything around like 300,000 UK pounds or so forth. You know, it's small amounts, but... It's amounts that I feel comfortable, mm. and it's trying to understand the whole thing. It's it, trying. People don't understand it, a lot of things these days, though. Just reminds me mm. of um, the commodita- commoditized subprime mortgages in the U.S., mm. which is what caused the last, last financial crash because mm. nobody understood the algorithms that were actually putting these things together and packaging them. Yeah. They just saw the fact that they were. Uh, increasing in value, increasing in value. What they didn't understand was the actual products themselves had no value mm. because you're mm. selling a mortgage that has no value. You're not even selling the property it's based on. You're selling the value of the debt and you're selling high-risk debt that people default on. Mm. So once you start to see a collapse in confidence, that chain reaction nearly tanked the global economy. Yeah. And partly that was because people didn't understand the technology that put it together. And that's mm. what worries me I about could see the, that with the, Bitcoin and, with the yeah, cryptocurrencies yeah. Mm, as well. Mm. I think cryptocurrencies are very useful. I think we're going to... I think we're all going to be switching to cryptocurrencies in the Some future. Some form, yeah. Mm. But they will be a currency. They won't be an investment vehicle. Yeah, they yeah. will be mm. our form of money. Mm. Well, anyway. Yeah, anyways, anyways, we got to go on to... You know, sometimes, yeah, some, yeah. some things about cryptocurrency, we got to just agree to disagree. I know. Yeah. Um, mm. And yes, well, okay... <laughs> I think we should agree that you're wrong and you agree that I'm right. That sounds like a, a fair trade-off. Fair to you, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah. But it does lead me into something else that we talked about this year, which is um, Venture Dementia, um, mm. which was actually on a show that I did with, with Richard. Richard, mm. yeah. Um, but it, it goes back to what I was talking about before the break. You know, it's that sense of groupthink that seems to be coming out in Silicon Valley, um, the kind of groupthink that allows our favorite juicer to be funded to the tune of <laughs> $150 million when any kindergarten child could have told you, you know, it wasn't going to work. When you live in an era of escalating food prices, who needs a $700 Wi-Fi connected juicing machine that will only allow you to mm-hmm. use the company's own pre-packaged fruit pro- products? Yeah, let, let's just not talk about juices anymore, man. No, because we're going to talk about optimism okay. and <laughs> trust. Um, as I said, 2017 has been a year um, which has dented the faith of a lot of people in the tech world. Um, but what came as, I think, the biggest surprise to me was the the reaction of people who are much younger than I am. Um, you know, very often when we talk about millennials mm. and the generation that will come after, who I hope we're going to call the noughties, because <laughs> it's been a while since a generation was really naughty. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, when we talk about millennials, it's often, you know, it's with a sneering tone and mm. we mutter about Ooh, complacency and entitlement. Oh, God, entitlement. Um, yeah. And it's, it's easy to forget that these are people who have grown up in a very different world. They've grown up in the world that has always had the internet. It's always had Facebook. Mm. 
if you think that we struggle with the concept of fake news, at least we lived through a period where facts were a lot more solid. Mm. For these two generations, information and truth have always been built on these very shifting sands. Uh, they haven't had the benefits of a lot of the certainties that the generations before them have had. So perhaps they have more material benefits and privileges, but they've been born in the middle of you know this tremendous social upheaval. And they've had to navigate it in ways that are really quite alien to, to people like me. Mm. And they really are the ones who are going to be shaping the way society looks in the next 50 years, because I'm going to be dead. <laughs> um, and I think it's going to look, you know, very different. Mm. So you're talking about this generation. And I know you've mentioned on the show before a few times that, you know, you, you've been very surprised about the R relationship with big technology companies. Yeah, and I honestly think that was the biggest shock I've had mm. this year. Um, for people who have never known a world without Facebook or Twitter, they see these companies as being these, you know, inviolable giants, these mm. economic and political monoliths that pretty much govern their lives. And there's a very kind of strong current of codependency in the relationship between the millennial generation and social media. Um, they rely on sites like Facebook and Instagram. These services form part of their daily lives. And at the same time, they resent the companies for having this presence and power, which is understandable. <laughs> yeah. But because they haven't seen a world without these companies, they don't have the same notion that, that we have of the ebb and flow mm. of social media and tech companies, the trends and social tides that can just wash them away. So in a very real sense, they feel powerless. You know, when we talk about walled gardens, I certainly don't feel like I live inside a walled <laughs> garden, but I get a f the feeling that a lot of kids feel that they really are living inside yeah. these walled gardens and they don't even know if there is a door, let alone, you know, how or where to find it. Mm. Your idea of optimism is, how can I say it, is not a very happy one, Matt. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to get all the negative stuff out of this way, in, okay. uh, out of the way in part one, so that okay. next week I can be all happy, happy, joy, joy. Um, <laughs> wow, I'm looking year. forward to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but for the last part of the show, I do want to move on to my new favorite topic, which is optimism. So, <laughs> okay, let's I know, try. I know. Let's try. <laughs> if we go back to the walled gardens I was talking about a minute ago, you know. I don't feel like I live in one because those walls mm. are, are virtual. Mm. They're not real to mm. me. Um, but the tech companies would like us to believe that they're, they're real because it's the tech companies who are actually scared of us. Mm. Um, now, I've used this example quite a, a few times on the show, um, but we've seen a lot of the tech companies forced to hire large numbers of content moderators this year to weed out unpleasant content that upsets users and you know is likely to make them yeah. switch off mm. because however dependent people feel on social media companies and technology companies in general those companies are actually a lot more reliant on us um look at our consumer goods um they used to be absolutely awful mm. they were badly made they were unreliable they were always breaking down now most consumer goods, unless they come from Apple, are very cheap <laughs> and incredibly good value. Mm, mm, um, and mm. the profit margins for the companies are usually extremely yeah. thin. Um, and there's very little to separate products from one company um, to another anymore. Mm. Everybody makes really good stuff. Oh, yeah. And if you're a large manufacturer, the fact that most of your competitors are pretty much identical when it comes to product range, pricing, um, 
quality. Mm. It's really terrible for their bottom line and predicting growth. And I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing so many of these walled gardens emerge because locking you into a product ecosystem is the only surefire way for companies to turn a profit. Mm. And the same goes for social media companies then. Exactly the mm. same. You know, we think that they have this dominion over our lives. They they don't. They actually have a very weak hand. Making money from us is very, very hard from, uh, for them. The constant product innovation, the testing, the increasing focus that we have on privacy and safeguards makes their life very, very hard. And that gives us an awful lot of power. These companies tend to be reactive. Effectively, they have to do exactly what we want. Mm. And they also give us precisely the tools we need to find other people who share our opinion, our viewpoint. And they allow us to organize and they allow us to turn that single opinion into a collective opinion and a much louder voice. So you often hear the um, social media leaders talking about their community, you know, the people in these companies, they talk about their community, but it isn't their community. It's actually our community. Mm. We're just renting that community space from them. And we can just as easily rent that space from somewhere else. Mm. That's easy to say. How do you communicate that message to, as you say, the generation that doesn't remember a world before these companies? Well, that's the, the, one of the nice things about you know, insecurity. Even if our newest generations don't realize how brittle and precarious that position is, the companies do. Um, somewhere in Facebook, there's a giant picture of the MySpace logo with a clock next to it and the hands ticking down. Um, because companies like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the hundreds of others are beholden to a user base that is using today's technology. Mm. So that means most of their attention and focus is on preserving that user base and giving the best experience that current technology allows. But that also makes it very hard for them to be the leader in the next technology, mm. in the next jump. And this is something that we'll definitely talk about more next week because we really are on the verge of that next leap in consumer technology. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, moving into a world beyond screens mm. with voice technology. Mm. And it's going to lead to another shift in how we use our devices. For example, um, when we have machines with artificial intelligence talking to us, listening to us, and acting on our commands, what will the value of a service like Twitter actually be? Mm. The next generation of technology companies are going to need an entirely new business model. And the companies that dominate our social lives will probably look very, very different. Mm. Like I said, the optimism, and we'll get to that next week. Well, apparently next week it's all happy, happy, joy, joy, so we will stay tuned for that because this week has just all been doom and gloom. So that's all I've gotten so far. I'm not sure about the optimism part as well. Well, that, that's a high note. I left you on a high note. Nobody's dead. According to Matt Except Amish. for me. I've died of old age. I'm the only one who died during this show. Let us know if that was optimism for you. Uh, well, according to Matt, that's his optimism for 2017. Next week, we will hold his word. Happy, happy, joy, joy next week, Matt. Make sure you stay tuned for that. This has been Matt's Plain, episode one of things he's learned. And I mean he as in the doom and gloom Matt Armitage from Culture Pop BFM 89.9. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.